Welcome to Coffee Table Mythos. I'm Eliza. And I'm Leah. Grab your favorite beverage and let's talk myths. What you drinking? A Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> Large caramel iced coffee with cream and sugar. What are you drinking? Well, I was drinking what they call the Charlie, but with almond milk. So, like, they've got this new sweet cream, cold foam, cold brew, and I've been wanting to try it. But as you are aware, I went to work today as like an extra day of work and I was like, I'll get coffee on my way home and I will be a good person and get you coffee as well at the same time. I get to the window because I like ordered ahead right? and the lady's like, yeah, BT dubs were out of cold foam. We don't got it. So this, I made this for you. And I'm like, I can't drink this. Because she's regular milk. So I had to throw that out. And then we tried, we proceeded to try to go to another Dunkin' after I came home. They were still out of the cold foam at the other Dunkin' we went to. So I settled for the Charlie with almond milk, which is fine. And we had this splendid idea to try and get Pokemon cards from McDonald's while we were out getting this coffee. But then we go to this McDonald's and we go to the drive-thru. We ask if they have the Pokemon cards. They say they do. So we order four kids' Happy Meals. And what do I find? Four of the same Connect Four Hasbro travel games. <laughs> no Pokemon cards. There's Pokemon on the receipt. I just can't. So she had a rough day. <sighs> and now she's drinking water. I am drinking water. I thought about getting some alcohol, but I was like, no, nah, I don't need to do that. I'm fine. Anyway... So this week we're talking about Celtic mythology. Yep. What's your topic tonight? Okay. So we're going to be hanging out with Welsh mythology for a little bit. Oh, shit. Today, specifically, we're talking about the Tullawith Teg, which is spelled T-Y-L-W-Y-T-H, new word T-E-G. In modern Welsh... This phrase has become synonymous with Tinkerbell-esque fairies. Oh. But in Welsh folklore, it literally means the fair family, and they are a race of humanoid beings. Huh. Tullowith Teg look like humans, but they have otherworldly features, meaning they could be fairer, taller, more beautiful, or just have something that lets you know when you're looking at them that they are not quite regular human beings. Hmm. They also possess the ability to shapeshift. They generally have white blonde hair, glassy blue eyes, they can be male or female, and their language is too beautiful to repeat. Damn! They can be found wearing airy or flowy robes in scarlet, green, white, or blue, and sometimes the color denotes what caste they are. Hmm. The Tullowith Teg have two possible origins depending on the folklore. One place they could be from is Anun, the Welsh Otherworld. We briefly discussed Anun during the Kushi episode because of the similarities to the Kunanun, which were the dogs of the Otherworld. Anun is ruled by either Aran or Gwynup Meath, depending on the lore. It's a beautiful place of eternal youth and health where you never go hungry and all your needs are met. 
Oh, that sounds nice. <laughs> the second possible origin is an island in the Irish Sea known as Gwerthanae Heon. And that's spelled G-W-E-R-D-D-O-N-A-U, new word, L-L-I-O-N, which means the Isle of Enchantment. The Isle of Enchantment can move around, and the Tullowath Tag move it closer to shore when they want to go shopping in human markets. Huh. Okay. The Tullowath Tag often like to test humans. They can also turn themselves invisible if they don't want to be seen. And there are some stories where they blind humans who see them when they don't wish to be seen. They also had a penchant for giving out blessings and curses to unsuspecting humans. They're corporeal. And I mention that because there's another type that I want to discuss on a later Celtic week. Oh, okay. That are not corporeal. For the people that don't know what corporeal means, like myself. What does corporeal mean? (laughs) Sure. So they have a, a physical body. Oh, okay. I was like... I don't know why, but in my head, when you said that, I thought that meant, like, courteous Hmm. or, like, nice. I don't know why. That's just not at all what that means. (laughs) I'm glad I asked. So, the Telewith Teg are known for their dancing, particularly in the moonlight, and their fairy rings. It's said if you're caught in a fairy ring, you'll be forced to dance for a year and a day. That's a hell of a lot of cardio. That sounds like something I read in the book Ash. Well, maybe she took, um... She may have. Because she talked... She talked about something very similar to that. Mm-hmm. Except they danced to death, basically. Well, yeah. I mean, if you were dancing for a year and a day, you probably would dance to death. <laughs> yeah. They also love music and have been known to kidnap skilled musicians to make them play in their realm. Huh. It's strongly suggested that you speak kindly of them, because if you don't, you are likely to be cursed. They are partial to flattery, and this can lead them to giving you gifts, favors, or magic. There's also stories of them giving out riches that disappear if they're spoken about. Hmm. Sometimes they ride past human houses on horseback. For this reason, some people leave bowls of milk out as gifts to the Telewathteg. They are also associated with lakes, because one belief is that they live beneath lakes and rivers. Their dislikes include rude people, (laughs) salt, and iron. Although they're probably very, very far away from here. (laughs) So much salt. I wish I was joking. (laughs) If a female Talawithteg touches iron while she is married to a human man, it will send her back to her realm without a trace. They are never seen by their husbands again. Sometimes humans entered their realm, with varying degrees of success at leaving again. It is said if you carry twigs from a rowan tree, you are granted safe passage through their territory. Goats are sacred to them, as they are keepers of arcane knowledge. Goats? Goats. Okay. They would comb goats' beards every Friday night so that the goats would be decent for Sunday. Okay. They have been accused of stealing blonde babies and leaving changelings in their place. Huh. The changelings start off just like the real child. 
but slowly their faces shrivel and become hideous. The child becomes bad-tempered, and the families would try many things to get their child back, ranging from neglectful to abusive. So trigger warning, because most of this next little chunk is... Not cute. Not cute or pleasant. Oh, okay. Some parents would leave the changelings in a field alone and return to their house in the hopes that they would find their real child there. Some would threaten the babies with hot pokers or hold them on a shovel over an open fire. Some were placed in hot ovens or exposed to boiling water, while others were forced to brave the elements. After Christianity arrived in Wales, it was believed that unchristened children were more at risk of being swapped with a changeling. Other more at-risk children included girls and twins. Huh. Some people would place iron fireplace tongs above the crib to keep their child safe because the Tullowith Tag dislike iron. All I keep thinking is my sister taking the fire poker and taking it to sleep with her. <laughs> because she would be scared someone was trying to break into the freaking house at night, even though other people were in the house with her. <laughs> so, the tongs would be met with varying degrees of success, since it's widely believed now that changeling stories were actually disabled babies, and iron is not going to stop a mental or physical disability from appearing. Well, that's sad. Yeah. Changing stories are just so upsetting. So there's a particular story called The Speckled Cow about a Tullowith Tag cow that never ran out of milk. Huh. No matter how big the container you used to collect the milk, it always filled it to the top. The town prospered and no one went hungry. This continued on for a time and many were saved from starvation. Then one day... A meddling old woman decided to muck things up for everyone. Instead of taking a container, she took a sieve. She milked the cow for hours. Over time, it slowed and eventually stopped producing milk. The poor cow's udders were bruised and sore. Aww. With glee, the old woman showed the cow the wet spot on the ground where all the milk had soaked in. The cow was despondent, and the old woman picked up her sieve, kicked the cow, and walked away, laughing. Okay, lady. Screw you. Right. That was rude. <laughs> she just, like, fucked over an entire town worth of people. Because they, the entire town shared this cow. It wasn't, like, one person and they were, like, well off. That's just fucked up. I'm sorry. It's really fucked up. The cow was very upset and, after a time, called to her two calves and the three of them walked away from their manger. They walked through the meadow to the lake of two oxen, lowing mournfully as they left. They walked into the water and disappeared under the surface, and from then on, the people of Kinan had no more help from the Tullawatheg. I want to specify the cows went home to their realm and didn't just, like, commit suicide, okay? <laughs> they went back to be with the Tullawatheg. I have no idea what possessed this old lady to be that mean to the poor cow. Because it didn't mention it in the version the of the story I read. It. No. The cow did not deserve that. That poor cow was doing its, its best. <laughs> I'm a little upset for the cow, to be honest. I'm like, no. I'm also upset for her calves. Anyways. <laughs> so, 
there was that story. And then the last story I want to tell is about how medicine began in Wales. Okay. There was once a female Tullowith Tag that came to the human realm. She came out of the lake of Hinan Fonfa and married the son of a widow from Blensod on the condition he would not hit her three times or she would return to her people. The young man agreed because she was beautiful. For a time, they were happy, and she had three sons with him. They lived in Esgair Hipthi, near Muthvai. They raised cattle that she brought as her dowry, along with other livestock. But over time, he hit her three times. First, to remind her to get his horse. Which, like, what the fuck? Second, to ask why she cried at a wedding. That's fucked up. And lastly, to ask why she laughed at a funeral. The last one I'm kind of <laughs> curious about, not gonna lie. Maybe it was like nervous laughter. I don't know, but I'm I'm curious now. I'd ask questions, I wouldn't hit a person, that's just rude. A lot of rude people in these stories. Yeah. Please keep going. After that, she returned to the lake with her cattle, leaving her sons with the husband. The sons would walk around the lake in the hopes of seeing their mother again. And one day, she appeared to her oldest son, Riwahan. She gave to him medical knowledge and instructed that he and his descendants would be healers. Later, she came back and gave him information on plants and herbs to be used in his healing. Eventually, Rihawan went to Dehaibarth and the court of Rhys Grug, and he became famous as a doctor. His sons followed in his footsteps, becoming doctors as well. His descendants practiced medicine in that area until the 18th century, when David Jones of Mothby and his son John Jones passed away, both surgeons, and the last of their direct male line of doctors. But descendants of the Jones family were still in the medical field until the 20th century, when in 1971, the Welsh Medical Gazette did a feature on surgeon majors Edward Hopkins and Dr. John Powell, who are both descendants of David Jones of Mothby, though not through an unbroken male line. Stories of the Tullowith Teg can be found in Kana Tullowith Teg, the Welsh Fairy Book, and some books by Christopher Hughes. In modern day, Mercedes Lackey's Home from the Sea book includes the modern definition of the Tullowith Teg as mischievous elemental sprites. And the October Day series by Seanan McGuire has them, and they can also be found in the Book of Elves and Fairies by Francis Jenkins Olcott. Nice. So that's the Tullowith Tag, and we're going to take a brief break and be right back. And we're back. What you talking about? Today we're talking about the classification of fairies, which is more in tune from the Scottish folklore. Okay. Specifically, the most prominent categories are derived from the Scottish folklore, the division of the um, the Seely and the Unseely court. Mm-hmm. William Butler Yeats in Irish Fairy and Folk Tales further divided them into trooping fairies which appear in processions known as fairy raids, and solitary fairies, which are mischievous spirits appearing on their own. Hmm. Catherine Mary Briggs, from 1898 to 1980, 
was a British folklorist and writer who wrote The Anatomy of Puck, a dictionary of British folk tales in the English language and various others, noted a third distinction might be needed for domesticated fairies who live in human households. So, the word Seely has many different spellings, but the Scottish form of Seely meant happy, lucky, or blessed. Unseely meant unhappy, misfortunate, or unholy. The modern word silly is derived from the root and term silly. That's cool. Isn't it? I saw that and I was like, oh my god. So, in Scottish folklore, fairies are divided into the silly court, which are the more beneficially inclined but still dangerous court, and the unsealy court, which are the more malicious. Yeah, generally speaking, don't fuck with the fairies. No. Generally, you don't <laughs> want to fuck with any of them. So, the Seelie were described as those fairies who would seek help from humans, warn those who have accidentally offended them, and return human kindness with favors of their own. A fairy belonging to this court would still avenge insults and could be prone to mischief. <laughs> Very important to know that. The Unseelie court, however, was used to describe darkly inclined fairies. Unlike the Seelie, no offense was deemed necessary to bring down their assaults. As a group or host, they were thought to appear at night and assault travelers, often carrying them into the air, beating them, and forcing them to commit such acts as shooting at cattle. Jeez. In Scotland, they were seen as closely allied with witches. Some of the most common characters of the Unseelie court were bogies, Boggles, boggarts, abbey lubbers, and buttery spirits. Yes, everything I just listed. Anyway. <laughs> like, buttery? Is that spelled like butter E? Yeah. <laughs> like butter E, yes. So the modern classifications of trooping fairies contain aristocracy of the fairy world, including the Irish Aoshi, known as trooping fairies because they travel in long processions. For example, from which Tam Lin was rescued, trooping fairies also include those of lesser importance. Mm -hmm. Solitary fairies live alone. They're inclined to be wicked and malicious, except for being such as the brownie, who is said to help with household chores. Which is why the other lady added a third category. <laughs> Domesticated, however, these fairies generally function as pets or servants of the households they live in, but sometimes might temporarily join with other fairies for merrymaking activities. Everybody wants to do a good party. For reals. Wirt Sykes, from 1836 to 1883, was an American journalist and writer, formally divided Welsh fairies into five general types. The Elilon, which are elves. The Bubacod? They're household spirits similar to brownies and hobgoblins. The Coblenau, spirits of the mines. The Groged, Anwen, Lake Maidens, and the, oh, the Gwilion, Mountain Spirits, resembling hags. I am sorry if I butchered any of this. That's the, the one thing I just learned about pronunciation is the double L's are actually pronounced almost like an H, like, <sighs> Well, for today's episode, I wanted to tell this story because I talked to you about it last week, mm -hmm. and... I didn't really think of any particular reason to say it other than I like the story and I thought I wanted to talk about it. Nice. So, 
This is called The Corpse Watchers. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that was... Okay. Are you going to tell them how we ended up discussing this? You want to start? Because I'm pretty sure you know. I remember, but you can go ahead and say tell it. So we were standing in the kitchen, and we were talking about her game, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Yes. And she had played the first time through and she got really far and then she decided to replay it on a harder level. So she was restarting and she was fighting these three wolves. And the three wolves were kicking her ass. Listen. They were higher level than They were like double my level. (laughs) But they were called like corpse eaters or corpse watchers. Yeah. So I was wondering if they were part of Norse lore. Like if they were an actual story. I think they're corpse feeders. That's the one. I think that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. So we go Googling, and this is actually what pops up instead. Yes. And it has nothing to do with what I was doing in the game. Not even a little bit. Not even a little bit. (laughs) But I'm going to tell it because it's a really cool story. I really liked it. It's really cute. Yeah. There was once a poor woman that had three daughters. And one day, the eldest said, Mother, bake my cake and kill my cock till I go seek my fortune. So she did. And when all was ready, says her mother to her, Which will you have, half of these with my blessing or the whole with my curse? Curse or no curse, says she, the whole is little enough. So away she set, and if the mother didn't give her her curse, she didn't give her her blessing. She walked and she walked till she was tired and hungry, and then she sat down to take her dinner. While she was eating, a poor woman came up and asked for a bit. The dickens a bit you'll get from me, says she. It's all too little for myself. And the poor woman walked away very sorrowful. At nightfall, she got lodging at a farmer's, and the woman of the house told her that she'd give her a spade full of gold and a shovel full of silver if she'd only sit up and watch her son's corpse that was waking in the next room. She said she'd do that. And so, when the family were in their bed, She sat by the fire and cast an eye from time to time on the corpse that was lying under the table. All at once, the dead man got up in his shroud and stood before her and said, All alone, fair maiden? She gave him no answer, and when he said it the third time, he struck her with a switch and she became a gray flag. About a week after, the second daughter went to seek her fortune, and she didn't care for her mother's blessing no more than her sister. And the very same thing happened to her. She was left a gray flag by the side of the other. At last, the youngest went off in search of the other two, and she took care to carry her mother's blessing with her. She shared her dinner with the poor woman on the road, and she told her that she would watch over her. Well, she got lodging at the same place as the others and agreed to mind the corpse. She sat by the fire with the dog and cat and amused herself with some apples and nuts the mistress gave her. She thought it a pity that the man under the table was a corpse because he was so handsome. (laughs) but at last he got up and he's all all alone fair maiden all alone i am not i've little dog douse and pussy my cat i've apples to roast and nuts to crack and all alone i am not ho ho says he you're a girl of courage though you wouldn't have enough to follow me i am now going to cross the quaking bog and go through the burning forest i must then enter the cave of terror and climb the hill of glass and drop from the top of it into the dead sea. I'll follow you, says she, for I engage to mind you. He thought to prevent her, but she was as stiff as he was stout. 
Out he sprang through the window, and she followed him till they came to the green hills, and then says he, Open, open, green hills, and let the light of the green hills through. Aye, says the girl, and let the fair maid, too. They opened, and the man and woman passed through, and there they were on the edge of a bog. He trod lightly over the shaky bits of moss and sod, and while she was thinking of how she'd get cross, the old beggar appeared to her, but much nicer dressed, touched her shoes with her stick, and the soles spread a foot on each side, so she easily got over the shaky marsh. The burning wood was at the edge of the bog, and there the good fairy flung a damp, thick cloak over her, and through the flames she went, and a hair of her head was not singed. Then they passed through the dark cavern of horrors, where she'd have heard the most horrible yells, only that the fairy stopped her ears with wax. She saw frightful things with blue vapors round them, and felt the sharp rocks and the slimy backs of frogs and snakes. When they got out of the cavern, they were at the mountain of glass, and then the fairy made her slippers so sticky with the tap of her rod that she followed the young corpse easily to the top. There was the deep sea a quarter of a mile under them, and so the corpse said to her, "'Go home to my mother, and tell her how far you came to her bidding. Farewell.' He sprung head foremost down into the sea, and after him she plunged, without stopping a moment to think about it. She was stupefied at first, but when they reached the water she recovered her thoughts. After piercing down a great depth, they saw a green light toward the bottom. At last they were below the sea, that seemed a green sky above them, and sitting in a beautiful meadow, she half asleep and her head resting against his side. She couldn't keep her eyes open, and she couldn't tell how long she slept, but when she woke, she was in bed at the house, and he and his mother sitting by her bedside watching her. It was a witch that had spite to the young man because he wouldn't marry her, and so she got power to keep him in a state between life and death till a young woman could rescue him by doing what she had just done. So at her request, her sisters got their own shape again and were sent back to their mother with their spades of gold and shovels of silver. Maybe they were better after that, but I doubt it much. The youngest got the young gentleman for her husband. I'm sure she deserved him. And if they didn't live happy, that we may. And that was the end. So that was the story of Corpse Watcher. So not what we were looking for, but a good story nonetheless. Yeah, I thought it was very interesting. It's funny that you mentioned the five Welsh categories of fairies, mm -hmm. because the next couple of weeks I'm going to do... One of them? Two of them, actually. <laughs> I already figured out the next two Celtics, the following Greek, and one more Norse. I have no fucking clue what I'm going to do next week for Greek week. Uh, I'm in the process of writing it up. I want to say welcome to all the new listeners that are finding us through Reddit. We really, really, really appreciate you guys checking us out. What's funny is that we're getting more listeners through Reddit postings than we did through ads on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Which, I don't know if it's because Facebook's algorithm's all wonky when I try to, like, put the ad through, but we appreciate you listening in. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know if I'm going to draw anything for this one because it was just classifications. Right. That'd be kind of hard. That'd be kind of odd, but, um... I think I might need your help drawing the Teloeth tag because... 
I'm picturing like more of a sharper featured. You need my pairing. sharp lines. Yes. Mine, yes. mine are very rounded and I'm, it, I don't think it's going to come out right if I do it. I will say your, what was it? How do you pronounce yours from last week? The Japanese? Yeah. Hone-ona. Your Hone-ona turned out pretty damn well. I thought it turned out well. I love that your hands. Thank you. It'll be interesting to see if all the colors come through when the, it gets scanned. When it gets scanned in, yeah. I, I mixed the colors of her kimono with black so that they look kind of dirty since she's returning from the grave. Right, right. But <laughs> I drew it out in pencil and I was like, oh, that skull's really good. And then when I lined it, my hand wiggled a little bit. Oh, <laughs> like a tilde. <laughs> so her teeth aren't straight. So I sent it to my sister, who's in school to be a nurse, and I was like, I was so happy with this skull until I fucked up the teeth. And she was like, skulls don't have perfect teeth. And I'm like, or skulls, I said straight, because the line's not straight. And she says, skulls don't have straight teeth. And I was like, yeah, but they don't have tilde teeth either. Damn. (laughs) But thanks for the (laughs) emotional support. (laughs) So, but yeah, I thought she turned out really cute. Actually, that's not just watercolor and archival ink pens. I also used Posca pens because I wanted to make the flowers on her paper parasol. I wanted there to be flowers above the branches. So that's what's up with art. Reminders, everybody, make sure to check out our art for this week's entities on our Instagram at Coffee Table Mythos. If you want to share any art of your own of these beings, make sure to use our hashtag Coffee Table Mythos so that we and our followers can check them out. As always, if you have any stories or requests, please email us at coffeetablemythos at gmail.com. And remember to mention if you want a shout out of a name or handle, or if you'd like to remain anonymous. You can also find us on our Facebook page at Coffee Table Mythos. You can message us on here as well. Check out our merch on Teespring at teespring.com stores slash coffee dash table dash mythos we are adding more listings as we research more beings and make more art if you would like to donate to us you can on anchor.fm slash coffee table mythos or you can become a patron through patreon.com slash coffee table mythos for right now all donations will go to making the podcast better thank you so much for listening please give us a like follow subscribe share and review our podcast if you have the time we are interested in what you have to say this is coffee table mythos we'll catch you next time Mm -hmm.